You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, it's Ariel. On a Wednesday. This week, we're publishing the final episode of Reset. But because we're overachievers, we're coming at you with a special bonus interview episode today that you won't want to miss. So stick around. It's starting right now. In June of this year, just over two weeks after the death of George Floyd, Apple CEO Tim Cook made this announcement in a video on Twitter. Today, I'm proud to announce Apple's racial equity and justice initiative with a $100 million commitment. Beginning in the United States and expanding globally over time, the initiative will challenge the systemic barriers to opportunity and dignity that exist for communities of color and particularly for the black community with special focus on issues of education, economic equality, and criminal justice reform. I'm going to be honest here. Hearing Tim Cook talk about racial justice in those words was immediately intriguing. Because we're talking about Apple here, right? A powerful tech company that comes from a world that is very white and male. But then Tim Cook revealed who'd be running the project. And that's what really grabbed me. Lisa Jackson. Apple's vice president of environment, policy, and social initiatives is heading up this $100 million project. Lisa Jackson is a big deal. With a background in chemical engineering, she's been overseeing an environmental push at Apple since 2013. And she's made real progress. Between 2015 and 2019, the company managed to reduce its carbon footprint by 35%. And now they've upped their goals. In July, Apple announced that it's going to bring its entire carbon footprint for its supply chain and products to net zero by 2030. But Lisa Jackson isn't a product of Silicon Valley. Before she became an exec at Apple, she ran the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under President Obama, where she worked on issues like environmental racism. This new initiative that she's running at Apple, though, it's still at Apple. A company that, like many others in Silicon Valley, has had trouble recruiting Black employees. Given all that, I was curious about how Lisa Jackson would be approaching this new racial equity and justice initiative. How does a tech company like Apple change its business practices to tackle racial justice, not just within itself, but also within the companies it works with? So I asked her. I'm Ariel Demros. This is Reset. Lisa Jackson, Vice President of Environment, Policy, and Social Initiatives at Apple. In June, Apple announced its Racial Equity and Justice Initiative. How did this initiative come about? You know, why did Apple decide to announce this now? 
You know, the moment that we're in was a response to George Floyd's murder, to Breonna Taylor's murder, to Ahmaud Arbery's murder, and so many before. But I think, you know, the video spurred a lot of people to realize that these issues, which people have been talking about for a long time, needed more and concerted action. And our CEO, Tim Cook, felt that he had to use his voice. So on June 11th, he recorded and, you know, on Twitter announced the Racial Equity and Justice Initiative. And can you walk us through the major points of the initiative? Yeah, sure. Uh, really quickly, the idea is to build on the work we already do and really up our game in terms of changing outcomes for Black and Brown Americans and then spreading to the rest of the world. And in three areas, the first area is education because Apple has a long history in education. The second area is in criminal justice because the moment really demanded it. Uh, and then the third area is in economic empowerment. Apple spends a lot of money around the world. Apple does a lot of work. And so therefore, we thought it was really important to include black and brown run businesses in the list of people who are beneficiaries of Apple's spending. What really stood out to me about this announcement initially was the name itself, right? It's the Racial Equity and Justice Initiative. To me, that sounds a lot stronger than just calling it a diversity initiative or a racial equity initiative. Why call it that? And what are you hoping to convey with that name? You know, I think diversity is incredibly important, inclusion. And when Tim announced the initiative, he made clear that simultaneously to the racial equity and justice initiative, Apple has a lot of work to do internally on diversity and inclusion. We can come back to that. But the the idea of racial equity and justice was really to reach outside of Apple. Apple has real reach. We've tried to, in the environmental programs that I run, make sure that we are a ripple in the pond, that the work we're doing can affect you know, far beyond just Apple. And that's the same thing we wanted to do here. We want to work on initiatives that will further racial equity, that will provide justice to communities who've been left out um, systematically and maybe strategically for, you know, centuries. And so we were very careful in picking the name that it would be something that would stretch beyond Apple, use our products, use our reach, use our services, use our voice to try to advance this cause. Okay, so this is very intentional. Yeah, absolutely intentional and meant to be outward looking while at the same time we do the work inside that still needs to be done, frankly. So you're leading this initiative. How do you define racial justice? It's a great question. (laughs) You know, I I think justice, maybe, maybe I'll say how do I define justice? Justice is, it's not the equal treatment. It's the equal intention for all people. And this is just Lisa Jackson's definition, Mm -hmm. this idea that fairness and justice mean that you have to look at the history and historic inequities and help to make them right. It's not, I'm going to treat everybody exactly the same. And so it does mean you know, extra work with historically black colleges and universities or Hispanic serving institutions or tribal colleges. It does mean looking really intentionally at our business spend. It does mean thinking really carefully even about the words that we use. You know, there's a big effort underway now in tech and other uh, industries to to really look at these words that we all take for granted Mm -hmm. and how they, they can be misperceived and how they continue to propagate you know, the idea of, of, you know, frankly, a system of 
better, best, and and not so good. And those are all things that can be tied to race. They often are. And so, yeah, to me, justice is is fairness, but it's also looking at the context and recognizing that when the system is against you, a big company like Apple can help to try to level that playing field. Mm, I like that definition. All right. So as you've mentioned a few times already, as part of the initiative, Tim Cook said that he wanted to work on uh, diversity and, and racial justice at Apple itself. We're taking significant new steps on diversity and inclusion within Apple because there is more we can and must do to hire, develop, and support those from underrepresented groups, especially our black and brown colleagues. That said, Apple is pretty famously made up of a lot of white men, as I'm sure you're aware, and (laughs) the proportion of black employees is still really low. I think the latest numbers are 9%, despite previous attempts to change that. So What's going on? What's at the heart of this failure to increase those numbers? Well, you know, I think all all companies are running up against the same sets of issues. I do not call it a pipeline problem like many do from the sense of there aren't qualified people out mm-hmm. there. I'll call it, you know, a connection problem, a representation problem inside that leads to a, a bigger representation problem outside and therefore makes it harder to attract and retain people into the company. We all know that the number one way that you get a job is by knowing people. People refer you, people recommend you. And I think over time, uh, a lot of companies have gotten used to sort of their their favorite feeder schools, their favorite, you know, recruiters. And I think it really requires us to go back and question whether those were the right feeder schools. Um, Maybe they were, but who else And also to ask ourselves whether the list of sort of necessary qualifications is the right mix, because it's not that people aren't talented, brilliant and smart. It might be that they don't check the same boxes as someone who had a curriculum at, you know, a very highly well-known program at a university somewhere. And I, I just think... Part of the whole point of diversity is that that kind of myopia, that that like constantly looking for the same type of qualifications and maybe the same person, you know, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's whatever, it doesn't help the company innovate. It actually stifles innovation because you have huge blind spots. Mm. So I think, you know, Deirdre O'Brien, who runs the People Program, is at the same time as I'm doing the racial equity and justice work doing a top to bottom look at everything from recruiting to development to promotion uh, into management of people of color and underrepresented minorities. And I think that's incredibly necessary. You know, it's interesting listening to you talk. The thing that comes to mind is that when you're trying to make a large change within a group or at a company, um, you need to have the buy-in from the dominant group. And in this case, it would be, you know, largely white men, right? So do you think that that you and, and others at Apple have the buy-in of, of the white men who work at Apple to change this? Do you think they're willing to change their behavior, change their practices? And not just hiring practices. I also mean, you know, the kind of practices that keep employees of color at a company. Yeah, I look, I, I mean, I wouldn't speak for them any more than I would want them to speak for me. And I think it's white men and men in general. Um, we have some ethnic groups that are fairly well represented, but maybe not in management at Apple. So I, I actually think what has been heartening about this moment, if there's anything heartening about 
about this moment is that people want to have these conversations, especially our employees who maybe haven't been at Apple as long, mm-hmm. who are younger. And mm-hmm. we actually have made some real progress in the hiring in recent years. Many more women, a better story with Latinx people. Um, and so I think what I've found is people who I never had conversations about race with before, because it was sort of something you don't talk about at work, especially in Silicon Valley. You know, there's this sort of almost like we've moved past that. And instead, people are realizing we've done anything but move past it. And my friends, my colleagues at work may be dealing with a very different reality. And sometimes it can be frustrating to realize it took you know, a very graphic murder on video to make this happen. But that's what happened in the civil rights movement decades ago. And it's probably what happened in the uh, slavery abolition movement. Unfortunately, Mm. there there are like martyrs and soldiers for this cause. So, yeah, I am actually much more hopeful than I've ever been. But that doesn't mean that I think the work isn't there to be done. Mm. It's there to be done. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up management because, you know, looking at Apple's leadership page, it is hard not to notice that you are the only black person in in a VP role or a senior VP role at Apple. What impact does that have on you to be in that kind of a working environment? You know, the the thing is, I guess it's it's something to say that I'm somewhat used to it. Mm. You know, the other really big management roles I've had have been in government. I was in government for almost 25 years before I got to Apple. And I was, you know, luckily in the Obama cabinet, in uh, John Corzine's cabinet in New Jersey, there was a real effort to ensure that the leadership of the state looked like the people in it. But even so, government, you know, still hasn't done an awesome job of that. So, you know, I'm a chemical engineer by training. I was one of two women in my class, you know, by the time I got to Princeton uh, for my master's degree. I'm used to being in those rooms where you can be one of only. It is exhausting, Ariel, and I'm sure you felt it. I have. I definitely have. Yeah. Yeah, But, you know, John Lewis is a, I'm not there yet to say was, but, you know, every time I think this is crazy and why should I have to, and this isn't fair or anything else, I think about him, you know, and all the all he brought to the cause of of justice. And so if my being there can help some of the other employees, black, white, Hmm. um, to understand the importance of giving folks a shot, um, if it helps to demystify this idea that somehow you have to be a super person to get these jobs, um, then all the better. Okay. Um, And, you know, I'm hopeful it won't last for long. So... Let's talk about how Apple can impact other companies and, its, and industries with this initiative, right? That's, part, that's the other really huge part of this initiative. So one of the things that Apple did to become more environmentally sustainable under your leadership was to demand that Apple suppliers change their practices as well. So with this racial justice initiative, do you plan on using the same strategy? You know, uh, how is this going to play out when it comes to racial justice? Yeah, that's that's part of the reason that that third leg of the stool is economic empowerment. So Apple can use its spend, which is extensive, to demand, you know, that first off, we we should be hiring more companies that are run by or staffed by 
significant numbers of people of color so that, you know, we're adding wealth into the community. It's not a handout, it's just job. And that's really, really important right now. Um, But then the second thing we can do is to ask of our contractors the same kind of attention that we're asking of ourselves. So if we're diversifying, what are our bankers doing? What are our law firms doing? What are our ad industry doing? What, you know, we work Mm -hmm. in music, we work in TV. All of those are areas that haven't figured it out yet either. I, I really love what, for instance, our legal team is doing, where they're really working hard to include representation in firms of some of the partners who are people of color so that when you're in the room sitting with them, you feel like you're sitting with a a firm that looks like America rather than, again, you know, a room full of old white guys, which has traditionally been the case. Mm -hmm. And the firms are, are happy to do it because they're having the exact same conversations. So I think we can be a leader in that way Mm. and do it in a way that um, multiplies the impact rather than, you know, isolates it. So how does that work in practice, though? Because that that makes sense to me, right? It must be nice to be able to work with companies that clearly are prioritizing having folks of color in the room, having black people in the room. That said, is it, you know, you're going to prioritize working with with companies that have a more diverse workforce? Like, is that how that's going to play out? Yeah, we haven't decided or looked into whether we can go that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the first thing would be to ask those questions. Mm. So I I do know that a lot of places are asking for a lot more data about, you know, Apple's diversity. We should be asking the same for our contractors. And I think we've now said that's something we're going to do, you know, to start to build into our procurement Um, an idea around that spend and saying to contractors, you know, we're just not really comfortable that you're operating in name a place, (laughs) Detroit, and there's no diversity. I'm I'm sort of making that up. But, you know, you get my point that I think we can be very intentional and sometimes just asking the question. When we started with the environment with our contractors, we asked that we started with our supplier responsibility team asking them about energy use working on energy efficiency, asking them about water use, asking them what they're doing to cut down on on their need for water. Asking those questions started the program that has now resulted in almost 80 of our suppliers switching to clean energy for Apple use. And so I know this works because I've seen that people want to give Apple what it asked for. And, you know, it's kind of that old thing. If you're the purchaser, you have the right. Yes, we have power and we have the right to demand from our suppliers, what it is we think is important. That's really interesting. You know, I think that with the environmental stuff, that was really powerful. That really changed things. Companies changed their practices because Apple demanded it. And I'm just so curious to see how this is going to play out in terms of racial justice. So uh, I will definitely be taking a look at that. Yeah, yeah. I hope that we can um, talk about it. And, you know, in a little bit of time, you'll see some real changes. So as you've already mentioned before, Apple, you were the head of the Environmental Protection Agency under President Obama. And then you went to Apple, where a big part of your job was making the company as environmentally sustainable as possible. And now you're also heading up a racial justice initiative at Apple. (laughs) Racial justice and environmental sustainability are two gigantic problems. I would argue that they are some of the maybe the biggest problems that we're facing right now. And so Why take both of these on? What drives you to do that kind of work? It feels like two people or more could do these jobs. Yeah, well, first off, the environment is my passion and has been, you know, since I was a little girl growing up in New Orleans. 
And so for me, becoming head of the EPA was just, you know, the greatest honor of public service I could possibly imagine. But I actually don't see racial equality and justice as totally separate. There's a huge Mm. intersection with the environment. Um, When I was head of the EPA, I spent time early on pulling out what our priorities would be. And high on that list was was the priority of environmental justice. You know, the idea that pollution of all types um, impacts communities of color more than it impacts um, white communities in our country. And then if you look at a global problem like climate change, we saw there was just a series of articles recently about the places that are going to be the most significantly impacted in the right. Southern Hemisphere, Latin America, Africa, you know, countries that are going to have potentially huge migrations of people for lack of food or lack of water. Um, and the issues we're seeing here, you know, I grew up in New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina is the kind of storm we're going to see more of in a climate uh, yes. impacted future. And you know, we lost the home I grew up in. Um, and so did everyone else in that historically Black suburb <laughs> mm. uh, who had to try to rebuild with much less net worth, much less available income than others. And I always say New Orleans, in a way, because it went first, got resources. If this keeps happening, the resources start to dry up and all of a sudden you have an even wider gap between the haves and have-nots. So that's a long way of saying, I know that they're not entirely equal, but I do think that a lot of the work we've done and the way we've approached it on environment, which is to look for solutions that ripple out into the world. Tim always tells us to be a ripple in the pond. Same thing here with racial equity and justice. Let's look for educational solutions that ripple um, out into the world. And and thankfully, a lot of companies are doing that. So let's, let's magnify efforts. Let's not try to reinvent. Let's look for the folks who are doing great work on criminal justice reform and help them and support them uh, financially. Um, and then let's, you know, let's, as we talked about before, really spend our money differently um, in ways that will have dramatic impact. I'm happy that you mentioned that a lot of companies are putting out similar initiatives. A lot of companies have, in the last few months, in response to George Floyd and others, have put out various plans. And what I've noticed among my friends, among the people on social media, is that there's a fatigue. There's sort of an annoyance with these companies saying, you know, this is just a moment for you to uh, look good. And you're not actually doing anything. You're not actually, you know, changing anything. This is just you trying to get your moment in the sun. And I have actually started looking at these things very differently from that. What's been interesting to me is that it feels like companies have to do something now, right? That it is not okay for them not to say something. And that to me feels like progress. But I am wondering, for the people who are annoyed, who are tired of seeing companies butt in and talk about race when they are hurting, what would you say to those people? Yeah, well, what a question. I I think I, I agree with you first off that it, this is a moment that we can't not say something because our employees put put everything else on the side. I, I think the vast majority of companies and certainly in tech, employees are not going to stand for not saying something. They know these problems are out there. This was a moment where af- after George Floyd's murder, people brought into work, metaphorically, because we were all sheltering in place mainly, but 
it was re- it's really hard to explain how it felt. So you couldn't come into the office and have Apple, you know, as a whole, not that it would, pretend like nothing was going on. And in fact, if that if folks tried that, if, you know, there's a manager out there, and I'm not going to say there aren't, who wanted to just say, like, that's something you deal with at home, you know, let's get back to work, there was huge blowback. So first off, it it just couldn't be that way. And so some of what was done wasn't for you, it was for us. You know, so the first mm, thing I would say is you mm, have to mm-hmm. do it. The second is, look, I understand skepticism because you know we have been here before. George Floyd and Brianna were not the first or the second. And so there's a little bit of wondering. But you know, in all movements, there comes a time when it moves from fringe to mainstream or from, you know, only people who are really passionate about this niche issue get engaged. And now I think you've seen that companies are saying, look, we are now engaged. Companies are are inherently somewhat conservative. And so if they're getting engaged, that's actually great because it does move the bar. You know, I, when I was running the EPA, we had environmental activists who no matter what, what I did, what EPA did, it wasn't enough. But I got it. That's what activists <laughs> right. do. They move the right. bar. Always demand more. Absolutely. And then you use what companies say to hold them accountable. That is what I think needs to happen in this moment. First off, it requires folks saying, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check with you in a bit, like, I, like you and I just talked about. And I think we have to come up with some dimensions other than simply, you know, number of people hired. This moment is broader than that. Yes, you should be working internally, but a company like Apple, a leadership, you know, company, what else are you doing? I expect more from you. Uh, just like, you know, frankly, our customers expect more from us on the environment. Right. Um, I think we need to wrap this up, but I, I wanted to just ask you just one very small question, which is just, you know, you've been doing this work for a while. As you mentioned, uh, you've been working on environmental justice, which absolutely overlaps with racial justice. I agree with you. You've been doing this for a really, really long time. And this is emotionally exhausting work. So I'd love to know what sustains you? Yeah, thanks. Um, several things. Um, my faith, uh, my family, you know, I have a a wonderfully supportive sort of immediate family structure around me. Lots of love. My friends, mainly my sisterhood, you know, who mm. um, are always there. And then in this time, in this COVID time, you know, I really determined that one of the things I wanted to do was try to leave this if I was spared healthier than going in. So it's been Pilates for me. I have become <laughs> a bit of a junkie and it's just, you know, that's great. Finding the power in our own bodies is so extraordinarily powerful. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right. Um, I think we we are being asked to wrap this up, so I will do that. Um, Lisa Jackson, Vice President of Environment Policy and Social Initiatives at Apple. Thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I do hope that we will get another chance sooner rather than later to speak again. Thanks, Ariel. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. I'm Ariel Dumras, and this is Reset. We'll be back with our final episode on Friday. Later, nerds.